Life Audio. You are listening to The Beckett Cook Show with your host, Beckett Cook. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. To help support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash the Beckett Cook Show. Please consider subscribing to the podcast and leaving a five-star rating. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today I have a special guest, AJ Hurley, and we're going to talk about his extraordinary story of, he used to go to my church and he be, he became a nurse at UCLA Hospital in Los Angeles, where I live, where he lives. And uh, he worked next to the abortion unit, basically in the hospital. And what he we're going to talk about what he witnessed and how it completely changed his life and now he's a, an extremely staunch pro-life activist he's very active in the pro-life movement but first a word from our sponsor hi everyone if you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault listen up we have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So welcome, AJ Hurley. Dude, thanks so much, Beckett. It's been so long since I've seen you, man. I don't even know how long it's been, but it's been a number of years. And it has been a while. Yeah, As I yeah. mentioned in the intro, you used to go to, to my church, Reality LA, years ago. and uh, I met my wife there. Yep. You met your wife there. So yeah, yeah that's a bonus. Yeah, um, it was awesome. But it's, you know, I, I wanted to have you on because I, you know, I know that uh, your your story is pretty extraordinary. I mean, you are very much now um, a staunch pro-life, pro-lifer and kind of uh, really in the movement, the pro-life movement in a big way. So I want to talk about kind of how your journey to get to this place, like how did this all unfold? What happened in your life? And give us a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to this point. Yeah, man. So, um, it's been a whirlwind. Like if you were to tell me Beckett like two years ago that I'd be like speaking in front of the steps of the Supreme court when Roe v. Wade gets overturned, or if I like were like doing all this crazy pro-life stuff, I would just would have laughed at you in your face, you know, and God's done so much these last couple of years. It's, it's been crazy. It's just been awesome. And uh, I'm so thankful. I'm like, man, in one sense, I'm just like, pinching myself. And in another sense, I'm like, what Lord are you even doing? (laughs) But that's kind of like how it works, I guess. And so 
anyway, it started. I mean, you can feel free to interrupt me at any point here, back Yeah. So at, at a certain point, you became a nurse, right, at UCLA. Yeah, a, re- a registered respiratory therapist, which is uh, the guy who puts people on ventilators. Like if you're on life support, um, it's a specialized training. So it's as, as much schooling as a nurse. You need a bachelor's degree and then two years of school at least after. Uh, but it's just more specialized, the heart and okay. lungs. We, we put people on ventilators, life support, breathing machine who can't breathe on their own. So I was doing the whole COVID thing. And so I became a rest. I started working at UCLA uh, and... Uh, then I got trained. When, when did you start working there? Uh, man, I started working there in 2015 is okay. when I started working there. So I was at UCLA for seven years. I got trained in the NICU kind of PICU area with uh, these little kids coming out of the, the NICU with cardiac anomalies, um, cardiac issues. We have this special ICU where we put these little babies on ventilators and they're coming out of the NICU. And I'm looking at these children and that's kind of, I mean, I've always been pro-life Beckett, but I, every day was a new reality. I'm literally looking at the children that should be in the womb or coming out of the NICU that should be in the womb still, but we can save them because they can survive outside of the womb before nine months. And so, so the, are you saying that these are like preemies or premature? Yes. Babies? Okay. Yeah. Premature babies. Um, and some of these premature babies had already been in the NICU and then came out into the PICU and stuff like that. But wait, what is basic, PICU? Uh, sorry. Pediatric uh, intensive okay. care unit. So <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I forget okay. that this con- kind of modern lingo is lost, but um, so, yeah, so I, man, I'm, I'm doing the work and putting these little children on ventilators and I'm looking at these children, 21, 22, 23 weeks gestation. And we're putting all our time and all our effort, millions of dollars and resources to save these little children who can't breathe uh, properly because they're premature. And then across the way at a different location that I don't even know at, at UCLA, they are dismembering children weeks older than that and pulling their arms and legs off and taking their innocent lives. And just the reality of that fact just became so tangible in my mind that I just, I ha- I couldn't not do something. Now, how did you become aware of that, that that was happening so close by? Oh, well, just um, being pro-life, you, you're just like, you start researching. I had pr- friends that were pro-life. It's just, a, it's a hot button issue right now. So I just started looking into what are the viability limits and how far along in California and, and in the U.S., but in California, can you uh, commit an abortion? And at the time, now it's up to the day of birth because of this Prop 1 that just passed a few days ago, brother. But uh, mm-hmm. at the time, it was six months. So a six-month-old gestational age, 24-week child is the limit as to when uh, a, a, you can take the life of an innocent, unborn child. So, you know, but how, but close to, how close to your unit where you were working, how close to your unit was this other pl- you know, place where they were doing this? I'm not even 100% sure. I have an understanding of where, where it was, uh, but I'm not 100% sure. I know during late term, second trimester, so anything over a second trimester 
actually after a first trimester. So second and third trimester is considered late term abortion. Mm-hmm. Um, they should, those should be done in a hospital setting because of how dangerous they are. Um, thousands of them happen every year. A lot of people don't know that, but there are just tons of third, second, third trimester abortions that happen. I'll get into that even the evidence of what we found with the babies that, that we uncovered. But um, anyway, the, the point is, is that 21 week old gestational children are, our efforts are going to save them. And then across the way, somewhere else in the hospital, children are being dismembered up to 24 weeks. And I'm like, what is the difference between this one and this one? And how that, how long into your tenure at UCLA did you kind of start to uh, this this become you became aware of sort of this stuff? So I worked full time uh, before I could be trained in the NICU PICU area. I had to do at least a year, so I did a year of training, and then they they decided to put after one year they decided to train me in the in the PICU, and so uh, so I had been working. By the time I finally left UCLA to go full-time in the pro-life movement, I had uh, been working in that area for about with the little ones for about five years. And so for, for you, what was kind of the, the turning years, point? Sorry. What was kind of the turning point for you? In terms of like going to this full-time or? or yeah. What? In terms of, um, in terms of, you know, really becoming passionate about, I mean, you were already pro-life, but in terms of really kind of becoming passionate about this issue. Well, yeah. I, like I said, just looking at these children, I'm like, this is a human being. This, like, even we know that you're a human being from the moment of conception. You have your own unique DNA. You have, um, from the moment of fertilization, science is confirmed. It's every embryology textbook in existence will tell you that is when the process of human development begins a unique biologically distinct human being begins to develop. So there is no difference in the humanity from conception on, but I'm looking at a fully formed human being mm-hmm. eyes, fingers, toes. I mean, they could effectually survive on the, their own with my help putting them on the ventilator. Right. I'm looking at this child and I'm saying, why is this one valuable? But why is that other one across the way not valuable? And being and the only, and being dismembered. And so the only difference between the two, Beckett, is a mere fiat decision as to another human being as to which one is valuable and which one is not valuable. And that is utterly inconsistent. I'm looking at these children every day. And I'm just saying, this is the worst human rights abuse that we have ever done, I believe, in this country. We are destroying human beings to the tune of 3,000 children a day. And that's, that's honestly the most conservative number. We don't even know because there's not federal reporting numbers as to abortion numbers, but around 3000 children a day are being brutally torn apart in their mother's womb in the safest place that a child should be in the mm-hmm. womb of their mothers uh it's so radically inconsistent 
that we can look at a child that I'm putting on a ventilator and saying, this one is valuable. We can save this one. But in three weeks later, or now up to six months, well, not not six months, uh, three months later, up to the ninth month of pregnancy, we can, because of Prop 1 now, we can abort and brutally dismember a child to the very ninth month to the very day of birth. We'll be right back after this short break. And, and were, did you voice kind of your, uh, your beliefs or your concerns to your colleagues while you were there? Um, or were you just kind of we, like, there, there was, there was times where we would get into hot topic issues like that. I remember this one time where abortion came up in the, the general manager of my department, uh, talked about it and this was just right right in the beginning when i started getting involved and i remember me cowardly saying nothing about it when she brought it up and she was just parroting pro-abortion talking points and i just remember not saying enough and i just i should have stood up and just said this is utterly wrong and i kept my silence because i i wanted to save face and, and not cause problems in the department and, and put a red mark on, on myself as an employee there. And, and the shame of that is honestly what brought me into this movement to be more vocal. And as I've gone on, it's just, it's a firestorm now in my chest. I, I, I what happened six months ago utterly changed my life back in. I will never be the same after seeing the victims of, of abortion right up front and holding these children in my arms. I will now, I wait, what do you mean by that? Holding them in your arms? So I, I didn't know if you, you know, Nick set up this, uh, talk to you about having me come on. But, um, so six months ago, I don't know if he mentioned to you, we were doing some pro-life work. I was outside of Margaret Sanger Planned Parenthood. I get a phone call. A few of my activist friends were in D.C. outside of an abortion clinic and a truck pulled up and a medical waste driver got out of the truck, went into the abortion clinic and started unloading boxes of aborted children from D.C. Planned Parenthood called Washington Surges Center. It's a late term abortion clinic run by a doctor named This medical waste driver started unloading these boxes from the abortion clinic onto a medical waste truck about to drive off to be incinerated. And they approached the driver, my friend Teresa and my friend uh, Lauren, approached the driver and said, hey, do you know what's in those boxes? The driver then said, it's just medical waste. And they're like, no, look at the sign that's an abortion clinic and those boxes that you've been delivering are aborted children from the DC and Baltimore area. This driver was back at just overwhelmed with emotion and just shock. They convinced the driver to let them give these babies a proper burial. And he said, I've already scanned these boxes in. 
I'm um, I'm going to look away, and they grab the box, and inside the box, uh, uh, outside the abortion clinic, was 115 aborted children, and five of them were full term children. They frantically called me on the phone. I was there. I took a train, my wife and I, from D.C. I'm sorry, from New York City to D.C. And I unboxed these children with them, took photos, and we turned five children over to the DCPD because they had overwhelming evidence of partial birth abortion and infanticide. One of the baby's skulls had been slit in the back of the skull. Classic partial birth abortion technique. Um, and so we delivered those children over to uh, the DC police department. And this became a huge national story. We were all over the news for like the last six months. Now it's been an ongoing campaign of tr- trying to bring justice for these five children. Oh, so um, you're, so the, the famous picture that's been circulating on social media, Yes, you, you took those photos. I, I was holding, that was my hands holding that baby. Oh my goodness. Wow. I mean, you didn't know, pictures, you didn't know this. I didn't know this. That, that photo photo is so disturbing that when I, I can't even, I can barely look at it. It's so, so disturbing. Brother, we have not been the same since um, my wife still cannot sleep at night, just waking up in tears because of seeing the victims, the faces of the faceless million children that are being brutally torn apart in the womb with the excuse of euphemisms like choice and healthcare. And um, we, we will never be the same. So, oh my goodness. So what, so what happened after that day when you, when you took, took those to the police? Yeah. I mean, so it, it became a news story, but what happened to you? Yeah. So like the, the, um, your activism, like what, what took place? Yeah. So man, it was the craziest two or three weeks of our life because, uh, one, we had 110 children, the first trimester children that needed to be buried. So we, we brought them to uh, a member of the clergy, like a, a Catholic priest, two of the, two of the girls, or oh, actually one of the girls is staunchly Catholic. And, and so they insisted that they get a proper burial, Catholic burial and funeral mass. So we took a hundred, I personally drove a uh, 110 aborted first trimester children across um, over to be, to be, uh, delivered in, in to a priest and have a proper burial. So these, these children are now in the ground. Uh, and then we delivered five aborted full term. I mean, some of them were early third. Some of them were literally full term. I mean, Christopher, we named all five of the babies, Christopher X, Holly on hell, Phoenix and um, Harriet. Harriet's probably the famous photo that you're talking about. The girl with the one eye closed. Yeah. Um, and, uh, she had, she is the one with the overwhelming evidence of partial birth abortion. Who's the back of her skull was snipped. Um, so first we had this monumental task on our hands. It was, it was first, what do we do? Then how do we do it in such a way that we don't incur? What are the laws surrounding this? So, 
because on one hand they're trash, right? It's like they're they're treated as garbage. So is it is it against the law to have garbage? You know that you're taking from one garbage facility to another. Uh, and then on the other hand, this political milieu right now surrounding abortion is such that we really risked unbelievable amounts of potential legal prosecution yeah. on us at the time we just didn't care uh so i drove those babies to be buried and then we delivered the five children over to the dc pd and it took dc pd and the mayor of dc muriel bowser not even a full work day to come out with a press conference and said we will not perform any autopsies. We will not perform any abortion or any investigation. Uh, basically nothing to see here. These babies were all aborted legally and that's going to be the end of the matter. Well, the right wing um, congressional uh, congressmen and senators and everybody kind of got up in arms because you look at these children and you're saying, no, that is not going to fly. And so they, they promised a congressional hearing. Um, and there's just been this open kind of push to get an investigation that has not happened as of this moment. We have confirmed that the babies are still at the medical examiner's office in DC, However, it's really just going to depend. The, the people that are in, in responsible for investigating this type of uh, crime is the DOJ and Mayor Garland and the DOJ have a vested interest in pro-abortion policies. And so they, they are not going to investigate this. And so it's going to take getting the Senate and the House and the majority to to get the proper type of attention on this and congressional hearing and investigation that this this deserves. Yeah, and so what uh did you hear what what was the response from the planned parenthood in DC about this? So it was an independent uh abortion clinic. It wasn't planned parenthood. It just it's just okay. called Washington Surge Center that radio silence didn't didn't say a single thing, didn't put out a statement. Uh, nothing. In fact, this abortionist uh, was caught previously a number of years earlier, uh, basically saying that if a baby is born alive, he would do nothing to help it survive, but would just let it die, infanticide. Yeah. So, and then also uh, had live action put out a a video, an undercover video the next month. They had already had, because this abortionist is so grotesque and his business practices are so unethical. They already had an undercover video just waiting on this guy. So it was super serendipitous that this happened. And um, he ended up being undercover with like, like third trimester child and him telling the the lady that uh, she she was like kind of wondering if she should abort or not. She's like, I want to talk to the doctor. Um, the nurse comes in and says, the doctor won't t- uh, talk to you unless you have two Xanax and you have your clothes off basically. And so this, this abortionist is just horrible. Uh, and so 
there's so much dirt on him already. But these are the type of people that they can get away with this because abortion is so protected and so federally it is. There's just so little regulation on abortion because it's such a coveted hot button issue for for the left. And so um, and so what happened after that? So did you start uh, and did you did you get any blowback from from all of this? Oh, yeah. So it it was it was unbelievable. The press were just, I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the story. So there was a little miscommunication between the parties. There was a lot going on. One of the girls wanted to turn all the babies in because she was afraid that the proper investigation wouldn't be done if it was just some of the babies. The other girl wanted all of the babies to be buried and really didn't care about getting this she just cared about the catholic girl wanted to have all the babies properly buried because she was afraid that they were just going to be incinerated so we made a compromise 110 of the first trimester babies who were legally aborted got buried and then the other uh, five got turned over but in the process instead of one of the girls turning them over to dcpd directly she had the police come to the house that this girl was staying at, which was a huge kind of, you know, faux pas. And uh, so instead of the police coming right away, they took about 24 hours to show up. And then when they did show up, they showed up with a whole host of media and arrested one of the girls, Lauren for, some pro-life activity that she had done two years earlier. And so the FBI came instead of DCPD picked her up and with a whole host of media running the story, not that we delivered the children over, but they ran the story. And this is wild. This goes to show you how crooked not only the FBI and the DOJ are, but the media here, we give them a letter to come pick up the babies. Our lawyers send them a letter. Hey, this is what happened. We found these babies, blah, blah, blah. They have evidence of uh, federal crimes that have been committed. It takes them a whole day to show up. When they finally do show up, it's the FBI who shows up. And instead of getting the babies, they put this girl up, one of the girls, haul her off to federal prison to get indicted. And what was the charge? With, uh, she was charged with blocking an abortion clinic um, uh, okay. when she was sidewalk counseling okay. and conspiracy. Um, so she's looking at 11 years in prison for, for um, doing a uh, protest type of sit in uh, inside a, a, a abortion clinic two years earlier. So anyway, apparently uh, I mean, what happened is when we, talk to DCPD to pick these babies up. Well, they informed the FBI, the FBI comes swoop her up. And now the narrative that the media runs is that this crazed lunatic pro-life woman is swooped up by the FBI and is harboring fetuses in her basement. So, so for, for the next two weeks, her name is just getting totally thrown 
in the mud and she's her whole basically life is getting ruined. People are showing up, random people are showing up her house and, and it, it's, it was just horrible. She ended up getting kicked out of her apartment. And um, now the media is giving all this libel and, and it didn't matter that this abortionist had these children in his refrigerator for three weeks, but suddenly the, all the intention is on her and they're using Gosnell kind of type of terminology, like um, house of horrors and all this stuff. So of course they're flipping the narrative to try to get the attention off of the horrible atrocities that these victims of abortion had and, and, and put it on her. And what's the status of her case right now? She is uh, waiting to be arraigned, uh, or I'm sorry, waiting to to go to trial. So uh, they were indicted. Her and ten other people were indicted in March, and then um, she had a preliminary hearing, I believe. But now they're just waiting to go on the tri- on trial for that. The FBI has been swooping up pro life advocates, as you know, like crazy. Uh, there have been, there's this law called the face charge. So it's um, freedom to access clinic entrances act, something that uh, Bill Clinton passed in 94, but it made it, made it a federal crime crime to block an abortion clinic. And so they have just been. And what is, what is, what is blocking? So that's, so that's, that's the question, Mm -hmm. right? And that's, so that's, why it's so difficult because people are being charged with a face violation for blocking a clinic that aren't even going inside of an abortion clinic. And you have a politically charged DOJ and FBI right now that are like literally anything that can be construed as blocking the abortion access of a woman could be construed as a face charge. So there have been more face charges in the last year as much, if not more, than there were in the first 25 years combined that this has occurred and these face charges have been in existence. So uh, it's nothing other than just a political persecution that, of a hotly charged federal So government. is it essentially illegal now to to go, you know, to just to stand on the sidewalk in front of an abortion clinic and just... No, not necessarily. However... If, uh, say you get in a confrontation or say, um, you know, anything they could do, you, you are, you're at risk for being given one of these face charges. So you basically just have to be very, very careful at, at what you do that nothing can be construed as you trying to interfere with the access of an abortion provider. Wow. Yeah. And so, and so, uh, after this whole kind of experience you had, what, what have, you know, what, what have you been doing since then in terms of pro-life activism? Yeah. So man, it's been, well, right after that, three months after that was, was Roe v. Wade being overturned. So that was huge and just an amazing gift of God because of the political climate of our culture right now. I mean, I was surprised. By the way, I was so surprised when Roe v. Wade was overturned. I was stunned by the silence of pastors in churches. Just like no, you know, oh, praise God! Oh my, this is amazing! Yeah, nothing. I was like, where are all the? 
where are all the people? Where are all the voices? Like, it's just, it was crazy to me. So that's the, that's the other component of, of my story as to why I got so involved with this, Beckett, is when I first felt the need, looking at these children that I'm working with, seeing the reality of what abortion was, I was convinced I had to do something. I didn't know what to do. So literally my wife and I got up in the morning, went down to West Hollywood Planned Parenthood and started offering to adopt the children of these women going inside, offering resources, offering to give them help with rent, buy groceries, offering to take care of the children, do everything that we can to prevent them from doing this. And as you know, a lot of the overrepresented um, demographics are poor income minorities that are ending up at these abortion clinics. So anything we could do, we started working with Claris too, health. I mean, I'm sure you were mm-hmm. Claris and, and, and referring people to there. And, but we couldn't be there every day. And so we, I'm just like, man, we need help, brother. I went to every single pastor I had known. I've lived in LA my entire life. I've worked with pastors in the reform community out of some of these men. I, I have all their phone numbers and I went to every single one of them and said, Hey, can, can you help? Can you get people on this? Can you announce it? Can you do anything? It was radio silence, utter radio silence. And the few people that did get back to me just either said, we're not interested or we don't have the time. And at that moment, I was like, there is something seriously wrong with the church of God. And there's no surprise as to why abortion is happening, why it's so prevalent. And then come to find out that almost half of the women going in there were regularly attending church uh, the, the, the month that they went and had abortions. Wow. So, um, I had to get involved and I was like, I-, I need to do something about this. And so I started making a documentary. I'm almost done with this documentary. And it's basically on this topic. Like, what is the issue that's plaguing this? Why are pastors being so silent? And by the way, at the same time, Beckett, I'm hearing every Sunday woke platitudes from the pulpit on racial justice and Black Lives Matter and all the stuff that being just poured out from the pulpit week after week after week, when 40% of the people that are being dismembered in the womb every day are Black people. And there is radio silence from our pulpits about it, and they do not care. They're silenced, I believe, because of two things. One, money, and two, popularity. They know people are going, if they hear about this type of sin, they're going to leave the churches. They're not going to stay in the pulpit and huge amounts of tithe money are being lost. The other aspect I think of this is, is this kind of Gnostic dualism we have between, and I don't know if it's our eschatology that's driving it, like Hey, we all know that we're just going to get raptured out of here and it's going to get really bad. And the, the, the more horrible life gets on earth, the quicker Jesus comes, 
We know how it's going to end. Why polish the brass on a sinking ship? And so this type of mentality has created these really clean separations of between the spiritual things, just preach the gospel, these monikers that we always hear, just preach the gospel as if the gospel didn't have to do with loving your neighbor and doing anything, sitting silent while, while they're being tortured and and dismembered. So um, all of these things have, have, uh, have really energized me. And I think this is something that needs to be exposed. And so is this kind of like, is it, are you doing this full time? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what ended up happening? So I started this documentary. It was really centered around this event. So I'm like, how do I tell this story? How do I talk about this issue? How do I get the church involved in a real practical every day, putting your faith to feet, not just the songs you sing on Sunday, but it's a whole orbed view of how God wants you to live at the voting booth and in your daily life, at your workplace, all this. We can't create these categories. I'm like, how do I tell this story? Well, I became very aware that this problem is not a new problem with the church and not involved with this topic of abortion. And then I became aware of this story. And I'm like, this is the perfect story to tell this. And it was a story of two police officers. This happened in the 80s and the 90s. So the biggest movement to stop abortion and to really have the church be energized to get in the way of people who want to kill children was uh, a movement called Operation Rescue. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. So in the 80s and 90s, it was incredible. There was hundreds of thousands of Christians that were getting together arm in arm, people from 12-year-old girls to 90-year-old women sitting arm in arm saying, we believe and we know what's in the womb is fully human and created in the image of God. And if that's true and these people are being murdered, we are not, we're going to put ourselves between them. They would block abortion clinics arm in arm and say, you will not do this. We are going to peacefully interpose between you. And this was a huge movement. There was over, so the civil rights movement, there was less than 10,000 arrests in the civil rights movement. Operation Rescue History, there was almost 80,000 arrests and you never hear about it. So this time in history was unbelievable, but it got a huge amount of pushback from the church. One of the chief elders at at the time was a guy named who happened to be the second in charge of LAPD at the time. Well, when Operation Rescue came to LA, they were holding a huge rescue and it was customary that they would sit down with the chief of police or in charge beforehand to make sure all of the stipulations were met and it was a peaceful event. And so they met with So I'm like, man, this is the greatest story. I need to tell the story. So I met the guy who met with that day. And he told me the story that he sits in his office. He looks at his calendar and the day before the rescue, there was an elder meeting. He just remembered saying, thank you, Lord. 
well, comes in, was utterly rude, short, and said, we have nothing to talk to you about, about here. You all show up. You are not only, you are going to be arrested and you will be arrested swiftly and there will be no, there would be no leniency. He walks out. This arrest, Beckett, was the worst arrest in Operation Rescue history. And the LAPD had to end up get, like sending out, uh, paying millions of dollars to the rescuers in restitution because they, they were experimenting in all of these types of pain compliance. They used nunchucks on the rescuers. They broke, several people had their arms and legs broken. They caused pregnant women to miscarry. Church put a statement out the next day and said, we don't, uh, we, we are full compliance and, and what the, t- and the arrests that were made. And they said, Christians are not supposed to institute Christian values from a public um, perspective, from a public uh, arena, but are required just to preach the gospel. And so when it came to any area of civil disobedience, they were saying, Romans 13, you need to obey. So I'm like, this is unbelievable. Perfect example of this incorrect understanding of what submission to the government looks like and the responsibility of of a believer in reference to a tyrant. Yeah, it's like, I was yeah. just I just had Eric Metaxas on and I mean he he compared it not only to Nazi Germany and how Christians were silent but also to the slave trade. It's like is it immoral as a Christian to stand yeah. up to to stand against slavery? Yeah. I mean, of course not. Of course yeah. it's not immoral to do that. And we yep. should, as Christians, we should be, you know, doing and we'll thank, praise God for William Wilberforce. But, but go ahead, continue. Well, so, not only William Wilberforce, but I mean, the, the Underground Railroad and yeah. the abolitionists of, of that time, breaking the law, rescuing slaves, right? The Christian... Our, our duty, Romans 13 is not this carte blanche authority, just to, no matter what the government says, you have to obey. And so, but that has been this two kingdom kind of mentality that, that God's kingdom is the spiritual and the earthly is this common or, or, you know, not under his rule and reign. And so we just need to obey our earthly masters uh, no matter what. And so, this story became unbelievably poignant in my mind. I'm like, I have to tell this story. But then I became aware of a guy named who was a police officer in Nevada, in Las Vegas, Nevada at the time. <clears throat> Operation Rescue. He got a call over the, um, the squad car that Operation Rescue had came to uh, a clinic in his area. He shows up in uniform and instead of arresting them, he sits down with them arm in arm and his entire police force, mind you, three months before retirement, he risked his pension, he risked his retirement, everything. And his own police force, the first person they arrested was him, stripped him of his badge and gun, fired him on the spot. Wow. Because he said, 
God has put me as a minister of justice and that Romans 13, I am the minister of justice. And if I know that children are being slaughtered inside of this abortion clinic and I do nothing to stop it. And if I persecute the people who are trying to stop it, then I have abandoned my duty. So this is this whole perspective and telling this story just became like, I need to tell the story. Well, the guy who spoke with that I, I, that I interviewed, he's like, brother, I just think God is calling you to take my spot. I, I, I'm at the end of my kind of career in the pro-life movement now. I just feel like God is calling you into this. And my documentary, bro, has gotten totally delayed because I'm now full-time in this movement working for his organization. And it's been almost two and a half years now, full-time just working. Wow. Yeah. Um, and so obviously when, I mean, it's kind of a mixed bag, but Roe v. Wade gets overturned and it was a very happy day. But totally. then, of course it goes back to the States and we know kind of what's going on there. Yeah. So it's kind of like, it's, it, we, we could kind of celebrate and be happy for a second. And then it was like, oh gosh, but it's going back to the States. And hundred percent. Yeah. And, and I kind of knew that this was coming. It's everybody was talking about this red wave, which I was happy in this sense about, because I'm thinking, man, part of that is going to be this abortion issue. And, but what it ended up being was the red wave was blocked by people who were so angry about the Roe v. Wade decision that they showed up in droves mm-hmm. and really all the battle lines have now been redrawn. There are several states, Vermont, California, um, and Michigan now that from abortion is utterly protected from the moment of birth. Some of them so egregious that it defines the right of abortion as any individual states like Michigan and California, any individual has that right. So what that effectively means is the state cannot deprive anybody of that right and discriminate against them for any reason, including age discrimination. So now, as a result of this Prop 3 in Michigan passing, a child can go into an abortion clinic at any age, get an abortion, with, and there is zero parental oversight or involvement or consent that, that, are, that are a result. Wow. And so back to that photo, that image, was that... Was that okay to, I mean, is it, is it, was it banned on social media or is is that, are you able to still post that? Uh, I've, we've been able to post it. Uh, Facebook just covers it. So you have to push see photo in order to to actually see it. Uh, TikTok has uh, got rid of, they, they just canceled us. We had like unbelievable. I think we had like 60,000 subscribers in like four months. Um, TikTok was an unbelievable platform because the, the way the algorithms were set up that it just really boosted uh, followers and, and visibility. Uh, but they, TikTok has gone on a war path. They, they've just recently canceled live actions, suspended their account, live action. 
uh, a number of accounts have all been suspended, including ours. But it just really depends on the platform. Many people are just showing it. You can go. I would really highly recommend you going to our Instagram, uh, survivors.la or um, live action put out a, an amazing video. They sent they sent a, a crew to come take photos of the children. And that's one thing we did because we wanted to get all the evidence. But then also just to show the public because Beckett, people don't think this is even going on. They think it's a conspiracy theory. But now it, with the blessing of this is not only do we have the videos of these children, but we did deliver the video over us. And now we have the, the medical examiner and, and the mayor of DC saying that all these were elective abortions that were totally legal. And so it's like, they, they just can't deny it anymore. We have full term children and they have admitted it's happening and admitted exactly the legalities of exactly what's happening. And so this is, it is, shocking shockingly grotesque to the senses i mean you see these children and you we will just not be the same after and uh, i i fully believe just like when you walk through a holocaust museum just like when you see emmett till's face of his mother who had an open casket like we need to see the victims of abortion because this issue is just shrouded in euphemisms and lies and propaganda. It is not until they see the faces of these precious, innocent children that, that this will be stopped, man. It's, um, it is the most wicked and diabolical demonic thing that I've ever experienced in my life. And I promise you, I will devote the rest of my life to ending it because it is that vile. Wow. Well, where can people, you mentioned um, how people can follow, I forgot the organization, but where can people find you and how can people get involved? It's a great question. I mean, it's especially a question now that stuff like Prop 1 is and the battle lines have been redrawn with Roe v. Wade. This is now at the state level. Um the time, if you live in a place like New York, California, um, if you live in a pro-abortion state, most states, there's only been a few that have ended. But even with those, like now that people can't have abortions, we need to be there for these women that are abortion-minded. Because if we don't provide the type of support they need, if the church doesn't get around this, that's one of the hardest things about this issue is what we need to be providing the church needs to know about this issue and it has to be on the forefront of our heart because without it these women will that they don't have a support system if they don't have a refuge that they can go to the church should be the part not planned parenthood they should be running to the church to find refuge and solace and help um so man you can get a hold of me. I will put you to work. If you live in a state like California, there's amazing resources that you can get into. Pregnancy resources. If you want to get involved with an organization in LA like Claris Health or Stanton or um, all these amazing pro-life pregnancy resources centers that are helping women. Um, it, just literally, if you want to get trained on how to go to the sidewalk and pr- provide a gospel witness and a huge loving arms and supplies and resources for these women will train you how to do that. 
um, if you want to get involved with political elements. I mean, there's not a whole lot we can do as far as um, regulating abortion anymore in a state like California, because this is now a constitutional right, but we can save children and in the thousands at the abortion clinic. I mean, I have pictures of babies that we've saved and we've held in our arms. And I'll tell you, like, if you are looking for an, a, a fight that you can be energized in, if you're a man and you are looking for, uh, there's nothing more manly than defending women and children from, from death. Um, but th- there's amazing resources. Just get involved with us or live action. Uh, you can go to survivors.la, www.survivors.la, and our Instagram, survivors.la. Get a hold of all of us. And uh, there's amazing resources and a million things you can do. Wow. Well, thank you for sharing this. I mean, I, I it's so crazy. I didn't even know that you were because it was called justice for the five right that's justice what, for the five yeah i yeah, didn't even know that you were attached to that whole thing like that's incredible but um wow more power to you and we'll and everyone please yeah pray for aj because he's please. he's on the front lines of this battle so please pray for him and and his team but thank you for coming on the show and sharing this. Yeah. This incredible. Let me, let me just say Beckett, thank you for having me and having the courage to talk about this brother, because not many do not many do. This is an issue that will not get you popularity. It will not get you more followers and it will get you shadow banned and canceled. And so the fact that you had the, the it, it's, it's also funny just in closing, there's two issues that nobody wants to talk about is homosexuality and abortion. Right. Right. And so, but once you say that abortion is murder and that homosexuality is a sin, be prepared for a demonic assault coming after you. And I'm so grateful for your courage, bro, to, to be a light in a very, very dark place. So thank you. Yeah. Brother. Well, if I did, you know, it's like, I always say if, if I didn't do this, cause God, it's like, I would be Jonah in the, in the belly of a large fish. Cause God, <laughs> God, God kind of, you know, called me to this ministry and it's just, uh, yeah, I don't want to end up in, in, in a fish. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thank you, AJ. I appreciate it. And yeah, um, brother. yeah, keep us posted on what's, what's going on. I will. Absolutely, Beckett. Thanks. Thank you guys for watching and we will see you next week. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Beckett Cook Show. Your support makes this content possible. All episodes of the Beckett Cook Show are also available on YouTube. For more information about Beckett and his ministry, visit his website at beckettcook.com. Thank you to the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you will find more faith-centered podcasts about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. Hello, hello. Quinice Petway here, co-host of the Your Daily Bible Verse podcast. Are you someone who loves to take a deep dive into God's Word one verse at a time to explore His will for your life and desire to draw closer to Him? If that sounds like you, I'd love to invite you to head over to lifeaudio.com and search your daily Bible verse to tune in and subscribe for daily inspiration, life application, and spiritual transformation through the in-depth exploration of God's Word.